The scripture reading for today is from Proverbs 4. If you're following along in the Pewback Bibles, it's going to be on page 529. So we're looking at Proverbs 4 on page 529 in the Bibles. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son of, with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me, and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of upright, uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Put the path of righteous, put, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows, flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you I haven't met, my name's Justin. I'm one of the elders here. Over the last several weeks in the summertime, we've been going through the Psalms, and now we're transitioning to the book of Proverbs. And to kick off our Proverbs series, I want to ask you a question, and that is this. What, is it, what do you think of when you think of someone who is wise? Who do you picture? Maybe it's someone who's a little bit older, hair's a little gray, there's some wrinkles in their skin. Perhaps their voice is a little bit lower, it's weathered. They've seen the different trials of life. For me, I think of my dad. Now, if you know my dad or if you've met my dad, you might think he's wise because his hair is completely white. And so he carries this aura of wisdom, but it goes so much deeper than that. I think of my dad, getting emotional about my dad out of nowhere. Didn't see that coming. Um, so I think about my dad. One of the ways he is wise, um, back when I was young, bought my first car. Uh, it was a 95 Volvo 850. 
had a huge dent in the rear door. It, it, I loved the car, but it didn't look nice. Um, and it was one of those cars I think I bought for like $1,400, all right? So it wasn't worth a lot of money. And of course, uh, probably about after a year of driving it, it needed some work. Uh, and I think it needed like several hundred dollars worth of work. And so here I am weighing, do I put money into the car that isn't worth that much, and I'm not even sure how long this fix is going to last, uh, or do I just move on from this car and buy a new one? Well, who do I call? I call my dad. So my dad has been through the seasons of life. He's driven old cars. He's driven beat-up cars. He's fixed cars. He's sold cars. So I go to him because he knows what it looks like to live well and to live wisely in this world. And the older I get, the more I recognize that my dad is wise not just when it comes to big financial decisions, but my dad is wise in many, many areas of life. When we talk about work, we talk about marriage, when we talk about parenting, when we talk about all the different struggles and trials of life, I think about how wise my dad is. But why is that? What is biblical wisdom? And that's one of the questions that we want to answer when we think about the book of Proverbs. See, Proverbs is going to help us understand what true biblical wisdom is, and it's this. Biblical wisdom is the knowledge and ability to live well in God's world. See, my dad has the knowledge and ability to live well in this world, and we'll see in our text today that we're hearing from a father in the book of Proverbs, speaking to his son, teaching him how to live well in this world. And we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see the father exhorting his son to embrace wisdom. Then we'll see um, the father exhort the son to stay on the right path. And then lastly, we'll see the father exhort the son to protect his heart at all costs. So let's dive in and let's understand what it looks like to embrace wisdom. We'll start in verse 5, and we'll see how the father is exhorting his son to get wisdom in a variety of ways, culminating in this embrace of wisdom. Verse 5 says, get wisdom, get insight. The father is saying, whatever you can do, acquire wisdom, get it for yourself. In verse 6, he says, do not forsake her or wisdom, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. It's not just this uh, it's not just this search for wisdom, but it's a, it's a relationship with wisdom. It's a love for living rightly in God's word, world. Verse 7, and this, this verse, I think we detect a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of a riddle and perhaps a little bit of humor. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. You're like, well, how am I supposed to get it if this is the beginning of it? And whatever you get, get insight. See, the author is saying here that those who are wise, their journey on the path of wisdom begins with a pursuit of wisdom. They prioritize wisdom. They treasure it and they cherish it. And that's the beginning of wisdom. And then he goes on to say, whatever you get, get insight. Nothing is more important than living wisely. Get wisdom at any cost. Verse 8, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. We see it culminates in this cherishing and this treasuring, and it leads to an embrace. But why an embrace? Why does the author use this kind of language? 
Well, we're going to see as we study the book of Proverbs a few different metaphors, and one of them is this uh, comparison between lady wisdom and the adulterous woman. See, in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a beautiful, elegant woman of integrity. She calls to the people in the streets, offering to give them wisdom and insight. She offers life and blessings to all who listen to her. And she stands in stark contrast to the adulterous woman. See, the adulterous woman, and we'll hear more about her in Proverbs 5, she's the one that invites men into her house to commit adultery. She's tempting them. She offers pleasure, but only returns death and destruction. Now, while these women in Proverbs, they do, um, to a degree, uh, represent sexual purity and impurity, it does go even further and deeper than that. They are demonstrating, uh, Lady Wisdom is demonstrating everything that's wise in this world. And the adulterous woman is representing everything that is foolish and against God and his way. So we have to understand that in the, the bigger picture of Proverbs, both of these women are calling out to the son that the father is speaking to. They're both vying for his attention and ultimately for his affection. And the father is telling the son to prize and embrace Lady Wisdom. The way a young man would treasure his bride, that is the way that this young man ought to treasure wisdom. That means that this embrace, it's not intended to be a quick high five. It's not intended to be just the old Christian side hug, right? This is a truly intimate embrace. You're thinking, wait a second. Is the author saying that we're meant to grow intimate with wisdom? Well, I remember, remember who's writing this, right? Solomon wrote this, and Solomon also wrote another book, right? The Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs, a book about sexual love in marriage. And so we see this erotic picture of the, man, of the man in his pursuit of lady wisdom. And it communicates how deeply he must cherish wisdom. His pursuit is to be for lady wisdom and lady wisdom alone. But why is this so important? Why must he embrace wisdom? Well, we see that there are unparalleled blessings that belong to those who embrace wisdom. We see that in eight. When we uh, prize her highly, she exalts us. She'll honor us when we embrace her. But what kind of blessing is this? What kind of glory, what kind of honor is the author getting at? Well, if you look back to the column on your left, chapter 3, starting in verse 13, Proverbs teases out what some of those blessings are. It says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her, her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The father is telling his son, those who embrace wisdom, that is to say, those who live rightly, in God's world, will be truly and deeply blessed. But how do we embrace wisdom? 
Sure, we understand there's this picture of pursuit and treasuring and embrace, but what do we actually do to embrace wisdom? Well, I think there are are many things that we can do, but one thing I want to focus on is what James tells us to do in the book of James. See, James says to us that if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. See, Christ has opened up the throne room of heaven for us so that we now have access to God and we can bring all our requests to him. We have the freedom to go to the Lord and ask him for wisdom and God has the freedom to lavish us with all the wisdom we need to live well in his world. Do you ever feel frustrated with yourself because you've done that foolish thing again? Uh, As I was thinking about uh, an example for myself, I thought about the many times where I set my alarm for early in the morning, right? And you have all these great plans of exercise. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to read my Bible, pray. Eli will wake up, give him a bottle. We'll play. We'll eat breakfast. We'll read the Bible together, Eli and I. And then I'll start the work day. And I'll, I'll be prepared and ready for a full, joyful day. But what happens? The alarm clock rings, and that snooze button looks oh so good, right? We hit the snooze just just 10 more minutes, and I'll get up. Alarm goes off again, 10 more minutes. And before long, it's been an hour, and you find yourself rushing to get ready for the day, to eat a quick breakfast, and then to start the day. And I recognize, Justin, that is foolish. I have this opportunity to spend time with the Lord, to love my family, and I've chosen sleep. And Proverbs talks about how sleep and sleeping in, at the end of the day, is often foolish for us, right? Do you ever feel frustrated with yourself when you find yourself doing foolish things like that? Well, here's what I want to remind you of. Jesus died and rose again for foolish people like me. He lived the wise life so that we might be saved from the foolish life, and he promises that God will give wisdom to all who seek it. So seek the Lord for wisdom. Go to him and beg him to lavish you with wisdom and trust that he will act. So we'll see that we are meant to embrace wisdom, but it continues in Proverbs 4. Embracing wisdom is not a one-time thing. Those who live wisely in God's world stay on the right path. So we see, secondly, we must stay on the right path. What do I mean by this? We talked a moment ago about how one of the main metaphors is lady wisdom compared to the adulterous woman, but we're also going to see throughout Proverbs that there are, there's often this metaphor of the wise path and the foolish path, and we will walk one or the other. There's no third way. We'll choose one of them. We see in uh, chapter 4, if you look at verse 11, we see this introduced. So verse 11 says, I have taught you the way of wisdom, and the way would be like the path of the road. I have led you in paths of uprightness. So we see that's the way of wisdom. There's a way that you ought to walk. And that's compared with verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. 
So we see that we can choose one path or the other. There's a fork in the road, and we must choose. Will we take the path of wisdom, or will we take the path of foolishness? Living wisely in God's world requires putting one foot in front of the other, little by little, day by day, on the path of wisdom. But it's not easy. In fact, Jesus told us that it wouldn't be easy. Look at what he says in Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. One of the ways this has been illustrated to me is um, one way it could be two different paths, another way it could be um, swimming upstream or downstream. So you think about, I grew up uh, in the Buffalo, New York area, uh, right near Niagara Falls. So you think about the Niagara River, it has a current to it. So if you got your inner tube and threw it out into the Niagara River, there are some parts that are nice, kind of do a, a little lazy river ride, right? It would be easy to just float along. And that's often what the world does, right? The world has an undercurrent of wickedness, of foolishness, of evil. And if we kind of live passively, it will take us. And what's the problem with that? Well, we know the Niagara River, it ends up leading to Niagara Falls. It ends with death and destruction. But the way of swimming upstream, the path of wisdom, it's difficult, but it leads to life. We see uh, in verse 18, Solomon says this, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until, until full day. If we want to live in the light, if we want to walk in a way where our steps are not hampered and we can live well and successfully in God's world, we must choose the path of wisdom. But how do we stay on the right path? How do we continue day by day to take one step after another on the path that God has called us to go. Well, I think one way we do this, we see in verse 15, and it's preemptive in some ways. Verse 15, talking about the path of foolishness, avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it, and pass on. We see that we must flee the path of foolishness when it's presented to us. When I think of how to, how to describe this or what is this like, um, I think about when I worked at Target when I was in high school. So I worked in the front end. I was a cashier. Um, and there are many times where people are buying a lot of stuff at Target. And they watch their bill go up on the screen. And inevitably, probably a couple times each day, I would hear someone say, I cannot get out of this store for less than $100. And as a high school student, I'm thinking, like, my paycheck for the next two weeks is going to be $100, <laughs> and you're spending it all here at Target. And now, if you think about it, with inflation, that was probably $300 back then, right? So what would I say to somebody who finds themselves always spending hundreds of dollars in Target? Well, I probably wouldn't say, well, just go in here and try to be really disciplined. No, I would say, don't come in the store then. Don't enter the doors. And I think that's the picture that we see here in verse 15 where the father is telling the son, avoid the path at all costs. 
when you are tempted to start straying, to take a step on that path of foolishness, don't even go by it. See, we have to consider how does the enemy tempt us to go into target, so to speak? How does the enemy tempt us to leave the right path and enter the path of foolishness? What are the sins that always seem to come to mind when we have our confession time during the liturgy, right? We often find ourselves confessing the same things over and over again. How can we flee these sins when the enemy presents them to us on a silver platter? It's important that we remember that in the moment, temptation is enticing. If we're going to rely on willpower, sure, it might get us through this one time, Maybe we'll say no the next time. But eventually, in our own power, sin will get us. The only way we flee is when we keep in mind where that path leads. The path of wisdom is a path of light. It's a path that leads to deeper communion with God and a path that leads to joy. The path of foolishness It's a path of darkness. It's a path of stumbling. It's a path that leads to pain and guilt and sorrow. It's a path that leads to death and destruction. Brothers and sisters, if we want to avoid the foolish path, we must always keep in mind where it leads. We must set our heart on our home with Jesus so that we can continue to take one step after another on the path of wisdom. But for some of you here, perhaps you find yourself on that foolish path right now. What do we do? Are we stuck there? Well, our Father is a good and merciful Father. I think about the stereotypical example of a father and a child when a child finds themselves in a foolish situation. Perhaps they're a high school student. They're hanging out with the wrong crowd. They go to that party. There's alcohol. There's things that they know they shouldn't be a part of. The Spirit pricks their conscience, and they call Dad. and say, Dad, I made a mistake. you got to pick me up. How does the Father respond? Not one of shame. It says, I will be there, and I will pick you up. Yes, there may be a difficult conversation that is coming, but I know if that was my son, I would embrace him and be there as soon as I could and let him know, no matter what you do, I love you with everything that I have. Friend, if you're here and you have found yourself on that foolish path, know that your father loves you. And if you call out to him, he will bring you back. So call out to Jesus. He will never, ever leave you in your sin. Turn away from your sin and run back to him, and he will lead you back to that wise path. There's one more exhortation that we have here in Proverbs 4. We understand that we must embrace wisdom, we have to stay on the right path, and third, we have to protect our heart. Protect your heart. Verse 23 says this, keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. 
So what do I mean by this? What does it mean to protect your heart? Sometimes we hear that. I was kind of laughing about it a little bit when I was talking with Kels about it. We often hear it. It's one of those Christian cliches, guard your heart, especially in dating. Uh, That's not exactly what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about uh, protecting a heart that has love for the Lord. Think of it like this. Um, If you think back to the Gospels, Jesus is often interacting with the religious leaders of his day called the Pharisees. And he's always kind of butting heads and going against them, which is interesting, especially if you were a Jew in that time, because they were thought of as the religious leaders. They were the ones who were the most wise or considered the most wise in that culture. But what does Jesus say about them and what does he say about their hearts? He says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, on the outside, Pharisees appeared as if they had everything put together. If you ask the people who are the wisest people, many probably would have said, I think those Pharisees are probably the wisest people here in our culture. They looked wise on the outside, but here's the problem. They missed the whole point of wisdom. They missed the point that wisdom leads to and culminates in a heart that fears the Lord and a heart that loves God. See, the whole point of Proverbs 4 and the whole point of the book of Proverbs is to shape the innermost parts of ourselves into people who love God and love to live according to his way in his world. And see, this is how crafty the enemy is. He would love for us to listen to these things like embracing wisdom and staying on the right path and for us to equate it with external uh, conformity to the rules and regulations that we think are in the Bible, right? He would love for us to fall into the trap of performance. He knows that performance and making people think more of us than what is really there is a deadly disease. But Jesus tells us that when we idolize performance, when we idolize looking good and wise in front of other people, it leads to a heart that's like a whitewashed tomb. It looks great and impressive on the outside, but on the inside, it's full of death and decay. Why is this so important? Why must we take heed to the Father's instruction? We see the second part of verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs is leading us to a heart that loves God that leads to life. But this isn't just normal life. It's not just a long life, although that may be part of it. It's not just a blessed and abundant life, although that may be part of it. This life is eternal life. It reminds me of what Jesus says in John 4, verse 14. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
See, a heart that is protected and a heart that loves God is a heart that is welling up with the water of life that leads to eternal life, both here and now. We trust that as we live wisely, as we follow Jesus on the wise path, we will have eternal, never-ending joy with him. But how do we protect our heart? How do we ensure that our life is not just about external performance? We see three things here at the end of Proverbs 4. First, we guard our tongue. Verse 24 says, Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Now, it's important to remember that Jesus says it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So what's going on in our heart is going to come out at some point when we speak. But here's one of the things that it's important to remember about how we live and how we speak. Think about it like this. If we have a grumbling heart, a complaining heart, it leads to complaining. But if you've ever caught yourself complaining, often when you start verbalizing complaints, it leads to a heart that is less thankful. There's this vicious cycle of when we, when we speak with perverse lips, with a crooked mouth, it continues to twist our heart. So I think what Solomon is saying here is guard against things like a perverse mouth, crooked lips. He says in verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward. He says, don't be distracted on this path of wisdom. It makes me think of this. When we, uh, when we go down to the Outer Banks, uh, there's, I can't remember which state line it is. I think it might be between Maryland and Virginia, but I'm not sure, so don't quote me on it. Uh, there's a sign that I don't know why, but it cracks me up every time I see it. It says, there's a convenience store and there's a big sign that says, last stop for cheap smokes. And I guess there's some, the tax laws on tobacco are different. And it's not because I want cheap smokes. It just, it just cracks me up that they're called cheap smokes. And so when we're making the trip, I know usually when we're about to get there and I start looking around, where is the last stop for cheap smokes sign? Because I'm just so entertained by it. The last time I did that, I caught myself and I realized how foolish it was. I mean, first of all, they're just cheap smokes. It's just a sign. And I'm driving and I have my wife and my child in the vehicle with me. And here I am looking for cheap smokes, <laughs> right? It's foolish. And so I'm going to do my best when we go to the Outer Banks this year to keep my gaze focused. And I think that's what the author is trying to get us to do. Yes, there are distractions all around us on the path of wisdom. You might say there are cheap smokes all around us, but we must be laser-focused on our destination. When temptation is presented to us, he says, don't even let your peripheral vision see it. Keep your gaze forward. See, the enemy will do whatever he can to distract our gaze from our destination, which is Jesus himself. He will distract us in our journey of following him. So we must have a laser-like focus on who we're going after, and that is Jesus himself. Third, the author says, don't take the exit. You see that in verses 26 and 27. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. See, on the path of wisdom, there are all kinds of exits. 
all kinds of off-ramps to the path of foolishness. And the Father is telling us, don't take them. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been walking on the path of wisdom. There will always be temptation to exit, to leave. But every exit is designed by the enemy to take us off the wise path. If you think about the days before GPS, when you took the wrong exit, and you're in the backwoods of some town in West Virginia, and you have no idea where you are, the enemy would love for us to get lost on the path of foolishness and never come back. So when that exit is presented, he says, don't even, don't even take it. Don't swerve to the left. Don't swerve to the right. Keep taking one step after the other. But there's one more critical thing that we have to understand about protecting our heart. We have to understand that only a changed heart is worth protecting. See, Proverbs gives plenty of good advice about living well. Uh, in fact, there are probably maybe some of your coworkers that at one point or another have quoted Proverbs because it gives practical advice. Even today's text, you can hear about the wise path, the foolish path, and there are probably some practical tips you could take to prevent yourself from destroying your life. But if that's all we take away from it, we're missing the point. Practical tips for living don't get to the root of the matter. They don't get to the core, and that is our heart. Only a heart that has been changed by Jesus is worth protecting. See, at the end of the day, we all fail to live wisely, right? I have not perfectly walked that path of wisdom, and you have not perfectly walked that path of wisdom. We can do good things. We can do some wise things. But God is not impressed with our wise living. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're truly, deeply honest with ourselves, are you really satisfied with your way of living? Perhaps you're here and you think, I'm doing, an, I'm doing a pretty good job. There are a lot of people that are doing worse things than I am. But when, can, when you consider your life, are you actually satisfied with your performance in this life? Do you feel the weight of guilt and shame? And do you recognize that you're like a whitewashed tomb? Yeah, you look good on the outside, but there's death and decay on the inside. Friend, if your heart hasn't been changed by Jesus, would you turn away from trying to do things in your own power? And would you turn back to him? Would you trust in him so that he can lead you on the path of wisdom and so that he might protect your heart? And here's why we can trust him. See, Jesus is a trustworthy savior because of this. We sit in the place of the son when we read Proverbs 4, right? It's a father speaking to us, the son, but we recognize that we're the son that has gone to the adulterous woman. We're the son that has walked the foolish path. But Jesus is the son who has done all of these things absolutely perfectly. When Jesus walked this world, he walked the perfect path of wisdom, but then he took death and destruction for us. So the reality is we all deserve punishment for our foolish lives, but Christ, the perfect son of God, 
took our punishment. And he rose that he might breathe new life into our hearts so that we might follow him on the wise path. See, at the end of the day, we have to recognize what the pursuit of wisdom actually is. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, the pursuit of wisdom is the pursuit of Jesus. Jesus is the full embodiment of the wisdom of God. He not only walked in perfect wisdom, but he is the source of all true wisdom. And our Father is calling us to live wisely by setting our gaze on Jesus. The primary focus of our hearts must be following him. See, as we grow in our love for Christ, he leads us along the path of wisdom. As we grow in our love for Christ, he reminds us that when we stumble, he is there to bring us back. He has offered full forgiveness to us. As we grow in our love for Christ, not only will he help us walk the path of wisdom, but he will bring us all the way home. And that is our hope. May God give us grace to trust in him and love him more. Will's going to come now and conclude with a prayer of application. I want to invite everybody here to come with me before the throne of grace as the children of God. Father in heaven, thank you that you opened the door for us to pursue wisdom. I pray that we would seek as a congregation, as as individuals, to seek after wise counsel, to seek after wisdom that comes only from you. I pray, Lord, most of all, for our heart to be engaged in in the pursuit of wisdom, in the pursuit of knowledge, but the knowledge of you, Lord, not the knowledge of this world. I pray, Father, that by your spirit, you would help us to keep our gaze on the things above and not the things of this earth. That our eyes would be looking for Jesus, continuously focused, as Justin said, with razor sharpness on the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is and was and is to come, that we would look to you, Lord Jesus, for all that we need in this life, for wisdom, for guidance, for instruction, as your Spirit leads us and gives us that here even now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us and lead us to Jesus, that we would be focused on him. For it is in his name we pray. Amen.